It's Tuesday, June 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Supernova, David Kretzman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Matt Argusinger. Happy free Taco Day, guys. Oh, we just learned about this. I know. How, I, I didn't realize this was actually a day. Taco Bell. It's free Taco Day. Oh. One per customer, everybody. So, let's control ourselves out there. Uh, the NBA Finals are over. We're going to get into the sports business, but I think we have to start with the fact that the NASDAQ is up this morning. And thank God, because between Friday and Monday, the NASDAQ was down around 4%. And there was a little bit of a freakout going on. It was, you know, it's it's not a big move for the index overall, but, you know, in a market that has been really, I don't know, quiet, let not volatile at all, this little NASDAQ tsunami or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's really about some of the individual companies that we've, that have just had such great runs this year, like Apple. Amazon, Alphabet, uh, Facebook, and so they got they took it on the chin a little bit, and so I think that's probably got investors who are probably, especially foolish investors, maybe a little overweight in those companies, you know, a little bit of uh, something to worry about. But just for some perspective, here are the year-to-date returns for some of these companies: Apple, uh, and by the way, this is through yesterday, and I know they're bouncing back today, but this is through yesterday's close. Apple's up 27 percent year-to-date. Amazon up 29%. Activision Blizzard, another one that has had a nice run that kind of got hit, up 58% this year. Facebook up 29%. Alphabet up 22%. And Tesla up 68%. So that's after the two day, you know, downdraft in this market. But look what they've done year to date. That's what the massive drop. Brutal. Yeah, and I either see people freaking out about this or being, I think, overly concerned about it. Or, and I also see some people who are elated, like, oh my gosh, there's so many bargains out there. And to me, neither one of those. Makes a whole lot of sense because adding to that perspective that uh, Maddie just mentioned, Apple's back to where it was on May fourth. Nvidia's back to where it was June second, literally a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon and Google are back to where Alphabet are back to where they were three weeks ago. So, if you were looking at the same companies three or four weeks ago or even a week ago and not seeing them as a glaring bargain, nothing has really changed. I think psychologically, we're kind of we get triggered to think that okay, if something's going down, it's a bargain. But when it was at the same price as it was going up just three or four weeks ago, uh, people probably weren't as excited about it. So it's worth taking a step back here. Like obviously we we love to buy great companies at better prices, but in this case I'm not seeing a reason to get overly excited just yet. Well and, and partic- yeah. particularly if you if you already own them. Right. Right. And I will just say this, you know, this this is this is we've had two days here, so this is nothing to really talk about. But if if this turned into something that we saw post election in November, where we had a kind of a two month span where there was just this steady rotation out of technology names and into things like banks and industrials, industrials. and mid small caps, you know that that can that if that comes to pass, that then I think investors might have something to to talk about. But you know, two days. In, a, in an overall great market for these companies, not a lot to worry about. Well, and, and I think you just keyed in on something that's important: that there, there's no trigger event here, Mm-mm. and so that uh, on the one hand, maybe that's part of what sends emotions a little higher because there isn't, some, there's not a Brexit vote that caused this, or so, so. So then it does sort of lead people to go, "Well, wait a minute, what's going on here?" But I think that's where you need to find a way to just. Take a step back, get a little bit of perspective, and as you, as you both pointed out, yeah, the stock these stocks are back to where they were trading a week ago. Yeah, and I think as an investor, you do want to be mentally prepared to see your portfolio go down. I mean, in this case, a lot of these companies were only down maybe five or six percent, if that. So if that's getting you to the point where you're nervous as an investor, you should take a step back and think about 
how would I feel if my portfolio was down 15 or 20%? Because at some point, that will happen. It yes. might be this year. It might be in maybe three it's or five to, years. Maybe it's time to go all cash, if, if, you, <laughs> like if you're truly losing sleep over a 5% drop. Yeah, you want to position your portfolio in a way that you see a market downturn of 20% or more as an opportunity and not as a reason to freak out and, and sell at probably the worst possible time. Okay, so as I mentioned, the NBA Finals are over. Congrats to the Golden State Warriors fans out there. Uh, condolences to the Cleveland fans. Kevin Durant, who is a Nike guy, named the most valuable player, and Nike's ad department proving once again that they are right on top mm. of it. They were out immediately with a 60-second spot celebrating him winning the Most Valuable Player Award, and uh, and again, a very creative and great ad, which we've come to expect from Nike. But I'm, I'm curious, because this this was, as it has been the, for the last two years, this has been the NBA's finals matches and uh, matchup, and from a business standpoint, you've had Steph Curry, the very exciting star player for the Warriors, who is an Under Armour guy, LeBron James for Cleveland, who's a Nike guy now. That's been the case for three years. Durant joins the Warriors. He's a Nike guy, and and it's sort of, it's interesting to sort of look at it through the the prism of those two companies. But really, when you step back and you look at the performance of the two of them, I think. I've noticed a lot of what's wrong with Nike angle stories going on in the business media the last month or two. It's flat over the past year, so I understand why there's the, there are those questions. But compared to Under Armour, Nike is a walk in the park. Under Armour's down almost forty percent over the last year. So you know, using this as an opportunity to sort of essentially look at the state of these two businesses. Where are they now? I mean, looking at the footwear segment, which is uh, where a lot of the attention has been placed, especially with uh, when when it comes to the NBA. And I mean, Nike has hedged its bets pretty nicely because you have Durant on the Warriors, you have Kyrie Irving and LeBron James on the Cavs. So either way, Nike's going to come out ahead here. They're going to have some positive angle. But just looking at the footwear segments of these companies, in the latest quarter, Under Armour's footwear sales grew 2% to $270 million. Nike's footwear sales grew 5% to $5.3 billion. <laughs> so Nike's footwear segment grew almost the, the same amount of Under Armour's total footwear business in the quarter. So Nike isn't going to be losing sleep over the Steph Curry shoes, which have come out with questionable reviews over the past couple of years. So just keeping that perspective in mind. At the same time, I'd say it's it, it, it was the last night was good for Under Armour because you have a marquee player like Steph Curry. Who kind of uh, you know? It, it was a funny story to read about how he ended up choosing Under Armour a few years ago over Nike, but we won't get into that. But just the fact that he's now once again sort of on the the top, you know, and and you know, revered among players and fans. And so, and we got to remember the shoes. Shoes more than any other sport. Shoes are important to the NBA, and they're important to basketball. And so the fact that you have Steph Curry, who's kind of reached. Kind of another level of stardom, winning his second NBA Finals. Um, I think there's there's going to be a lot of attention paid to his shoes, and I think that's going to be a nice boost for Under Armour. Um, I, I just think it's a, you know with when the NBA it is all about the shoes. I mean, just for example, Tom Brady, who's also an Under Armour athlete. I don't think anyone talks about what Tom Brady's wearing or what shoe what cleats he happens to be wearing. Right. But they're going to talk about Steph Curry's shoes, and now they're going to be talking through the summer. And I, I, I imagine it's going to give Under Armour a boost. And, give, and for David's point. Under Armour is obviously smalling, starting from a much smaller base, so anything like this is going to help them a lot more. So we were just talking about some of these tech behemoths being down four or five percent, and that's not really a great excuse to buy into them. Uh, 
when you look at Under Armour trading nearly 40% lower than it was a year ago, is this a stock that you look at and you think, this is a screaming buy? Or do you look at it and you say, you know what? They've got some headwinds, and you got to feel a little bit. You you probably want to feel more confident than you probably feel today if you're going to buy shares. But I don't know. Maybe it is screamingly cheap. I would say with Under Armour, the story is still the retail channel for them, and the fact that it's just so weak here in North America, where so such a high percentage of their sales take place. Until that clears up, I mean, uh, you know, people can go out and buy a hundred thousand Steph Curry shoes tomorrow, and it. It wouldn't help them as much as we think because of the retail problems. Yeah, it really does seem like the uh, the ripple effect from sports. You think back to a year ago when Sports Authority went bankrupt, and the ripple effect from that. Uh, it I don't want to say it's crippled Under Armour because it had that's an overstatement, but. Anyone who thought, oh, they'll make up for it in e-commerce, uh, maybe mm. they will, but they haven't to this point. Yeah, that's going to take a long time. Yeah, Under Armour's sales have decelerated each quarter since the end of 2015, and I wonder how much. Uh, that's they, a bad streak, by the way. Not not an ideal streak. They're joining <laughs> Twitter and you know some other companies there. Not not the company you want to keep uh, at at this point. But I do wonder if Under Armour will get the same boost with its footwear segment from Curry winning another championship this year compared to two years ago uh, when you know he was a two-time MVP. He was the star of the team, just capturing a lot of attention across the league. In this case, I think Durant is clearly the, the headline story here for the Warriors. And the Under Armour. I don't know who Under Armour has hired uh, to design the shoes, but the last two iterations of Curry's shoes have not been re- well received on on social media, and they're still selling okay. But as we saw in this most recent quarter, their footwear segment at, at Under Armour has put up some kind of sluggish numbers, especially given that they are operating off such a small base at this point. But with Under Armour, for me, I still have some questions there. They've gone into a lot of debt to build up that connected fitness category, acquiring three different apps. Their cash flow production is still very inconsistent, and when it when it is positive, it is pretty minimal. So, their expenses and their debt have ramped up quite a bit, and it's still not immediately clear what the payoff will be. It is going to be interesting, three to five years in the future. Looking back on that investment that you just mentioned, David, because I think that if it pays off, then it's all going to be worth it, and everything you know, everything will be forgiven. And if not, and they don't really bounce back with e-commerce in a significant way, I think that is the the easy and logical conclusion to make three to five years hence. If you can, if you just look back and go, you know what, that money that they spent on that, they should have plowed it into e-commerce. Um, Got to say thanks to Tony Arsta, uh, who's part of the Fool Funds team, for sending us this story, which is the fact that this month MGM Resorts International is beginning work on an esports arena. This is going to be in Las Vegas at the Luxor property, and they're taking a nightclub that wasn't doing that well. They're closing it down and renovating it. And uh, I'll just add Tony's comments when he uh, forwarded the story along. He's, uh, and I'm quoting here, he writes, Based on the photos I've seen, this remodel will include very minor structural change to the place, just new upholstery and monitors. This strikes me as a very low-cost bet for MGM that could work well. It will include a section of the arena where you only need to be 16 years old to get in, mm. which has interesting implications. That's putting it mildly. I mean, that's I, I, I hadn't... I had. I think I had seen something about this a few weeks ago. Uh, I clearly didn't look into that because that li- 
that line of Tony's just totally popped out at me. The fact that that they're designing this in such a way to really, well, they clearly know the audience they're going after. So this is something they're starting construction on. Construction on. They expect it to be ready in about 18 months, call it, sometime in 2018. You think this is just the tip of the iceberg? Absolutely, the tip of the iceberg, and I, I think MGM is being a little forward-looking here. They actually might be a little behind, um, you know, in this um, because if you look at it, I mean, there's, for example, the University of California of Irvine built a, an esports arena that that opened last fall and is already offering scholarships. Um, Key Arena in Seattle is hosting major esports events now. They they host an annual Dota two tournament there. That's massive now, and so. This is this is as uh, David and I presented at our recent Full Fest. Esports is real. It's here. It's massive already. Um, North America is just sort of catching up to the rest of the world in this case. Um, and I think if Vegas, seeing you know, has attracted gamblers for you know decades, um, if they can now attract a new generation of esports fans who go to these tournaments in Vegas, and by the way, potentially in the future, gamble on these events, um, that's a whole new audience that Vegas can tap into. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this looks like. There are a few other arenas like this, and it's kind of a high-end internet cafe. So you have some space for everyday gamers to come in. They can sit down at a gaming station and play. Uh, you can buy food and drinks and things like that. And then there's also space to, to host tournaments and leagues. So it'll just be interesting to see what the the dynamic or the makeup of those different aspects are. But yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to uh, cater to that younger audience, and you need to open it up for people who are under 21 or 18 or 16. Uh, in, in this case, the majority of people who play and watch esports are under the age of 35, and a pretty heavy teenage audience there. So, I, I agree with Matt. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. The company that's kind of behind the development here, that's partnering with MGM, they expect to open 10 or 15 of these around the U.S. Uh, in the coming years, I think this is their third in the U.S. So a lot more to come here. Well, and if you think about, you know, to, to Tony's point, if you are Win Resorts, if you're Las Vegas Sands, if you're any of these publicly traded casino companies, if you're not working on this already, you've got to be watching this closely and looking at your own venues and thinking, okay, these nightclubs that we're currently using for some type of per- presumably musical performance. What's it going to take to turn this into our own esports arena? And if it doesn't take something significant on the structural side, then yeah, it's 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 totally worth doing. Becoming a, a no-brainer. Uh, just to wrap up, uh, because uh, I did mention free taco day, and uh, for our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, Dan, there's uh, there's a Taco Bell just down Richmond Highway, so um, so we can. We can hit that after we tape the show today. Now, can you go to multiple Taco Bell locations and get uh, a free taco from each one? Uh, you know, in theory, you could do that, David, but I think that kind of undermines the whole one person, one taco. Some moral moral yeah. questions there. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll have to think about that. I think yeah. Worth thing, some contemplation, for yeah. sure. Uh, I think the other thing we have to look into is if District Taco, which is a local taco chain here in the D.C. area, if they are jumping on the bandwagon with this, piggybacking, maybe doing because if they're doing they're dis, there's a district taco even closer to Fool HQ. It's like two blocks from my house. I would it, it, be there yeah, right away if they offered a free taco. See right. if they have a price matching offer, you know? All right. <laughs> we now we really have to wrap up so we can go get some tacos. <laughs> David Kretzman, Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here guys. Thanks, thanks Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 
That's going to go for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 